Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, I'm Elfie Scott filling in for Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. This week, parts of Australia sweltered as they were hit by a spring heatwave. And the Weather Bureau says that this heatwave means that temperatures are about 10 to 15 degrees above average for this time of year. And they've also said that this hot weather is persisting for an unusually prolonged period. Parts of the country saw temperatures rise through the mid to high 30s. And in New South Wales, the heatwave led to the closure of 20 schools due to high fire danger. As summer approaches and the country braces itself for what's predicted to be a scorching few months, experts are saying that it's becoming more and more important to consider how our cities heat up. So what are all the unexpected problems with heat in major cities? And how can we plan our cities and lives to mitigate the dangers that urban heat poses? Today, we're going to talk about heat and what we're going to face as our cities get hotter. But first, your news headlines for Thursday, September 21st. Federal MPs from across the political spectrum are joining forces to call on the US to end its ongoing pursuit of WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Former Nationals leader Barnaby Joyce, Teal Independent Monique Ryan, Labor MP Tony Zappia, Liberal Senator Alex Antic, as well as Green Senators Peter Wish-Wilson and David Shoebridge, will unite in Washington, D.C. to lobby the U.S. government to abandon its extradition proceedings against Assange, who is facing allegations of espionage. The delegation took out a full-page advertisement in the Washington Post about Assange, which was signed by more than 60 Australian politicians, calling the U.S.'s pursuit of criminal charges against him unjust. Assange faces 17 charges of espionage and one charge of computer misuse after WikiLeaks published a raft of classified documents more than a decade ago. Conservationists are praising the Australian government's decision to sign onto a new pact to protect parts of the ocean that don't belong to any country. Australia is among the first countries in the world to sign the landmark treaty to protect what are known as the high seas, or areas of the ocean that lie more than 200 nautical miles offshore. There are currently little protections for the biodiversity in these parts of the ocean, leaving them heavily exposed to overexploitation. Speaking from the United Nations General Assembly in New York, Foreign Minister Penny Wong said that Australia is working to ratify the treaty and bring it into force as soon as possible. Fire crews in New South Wales are hoping for relief in the battle against 73 blazes across the state as temperatures cool. More than a 1,000 firefighters have been trying to control the fires after days of unseasonable heat and wind gusts. Thursday will bring a desperately needed cool change in temperatures in the low 20s that firefighters are hoping will ease the conditions. 
A total fire ban is still in effect for the Greater Sydney, Hunter, Upper, Central West and North West regions due to the extreme danger caused by the record heatwave earlier this week. The number of homeowners selling their properties after only two years has risen, but so has the portion of house flippers failing to make a profit on resale, according to new data. The report from CoreLogic shows that the portion of homeowners making a loss on resales rose to 9.7% in the June quarter this year, compared to 2.7% in the same period in 2022. The median amount lost on resales was $30,000. However, those who choose not to sell are staying in their homes for longer, according to a new domain report published on Thursday. Australians are, on average, staying in houses for nine years now, which is up from seven years a decade ago. And legislation adopted by India's parliament will see a third of seats in the country's lower house and state assemblies reserved for women. India's parliament approved the landmark bill in order to boost female participation in politics, which has been disproportionately low for decades. While women comprise nearly half of India's 950 million registered voters, they make up only 15% of MPs in parliament and 10% of state assemblies. Home Minister Amit Shah called the bill a mark of respect and the beginning of a new era in the country. That's your latest news headlines. In a moment, today's deep dive into how heat will affect our cities and what we can do to fight it. This spring week has been extremely hot for some parts of the country. Queensland and the Northern Territory both saw temperatures rising above 30. The Bureau of Meteorology said lower parts of the Northern Territory were seeing temperatures 10 to 15 degrees above average. And New South Wales also saw its first spring heatwave, with Sydney and the far south coast of the state seeing extreme temperatures. For the first time in recorded history, Sydney saw its first five-day run over 30 degrees in September. And while it may be welcome after winter, the heat has already taken its toll and led to dangerous situations. Major fires are continuing to burn through the Northern Territory, with close to 80% of the state expected to burn by March. In New South Wales, the New South Wales Rural Fire Service enacted a total fire ban for the entire Sydney region for the first time in three years, and 20 schools were closed on Tuesday due to bushfire concerns. But there's more to the effects of heat than bushfires, and it can cause issues that we may not typically think about. The world is heating up as climate change takes hold. July of this year was the hottest month ever recorded, and the global average temperatures have just pushed past 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperatures for the first time. In other words, the maximum amount of heating that the world had tried to hold onto in the Paris Agreement. Cities are hit particularly hard as the weather continues to warm, leading to big problems with our infrastructure, energy and health. In fact, there's a term for the way that metropolitan areas heat up compared to the rural places around them. In Australia, major cities have average temperatures up to 10 degrees higher than rural surroundings. About 56% of the world's population, or about 4.4 billion people, live in cities. And when heatwaves hit with high sustained temperatures for days on end, lots of parts of those cities have difficulty functioning. For a start, our electricity infrastructure becomes much more unreliable at high temperatures, leading to summer blackouts. 
Power stations can't cope in extreme heat and end up breaking down. And in Sicily this year, hundreds of thousands of people faced blackouts due to a scorching heat wave that hit 47 degrees Celsius because of the heat damage to underground cables. Public transport can also be hit by extreme heat because it has the power to expand and bend railway lines, shutting down whole networks. In 2022, the UK saw widespread train delays and shutdowns during record-smashing heat waves throughout summer because of the way the heat was warping that infrastructure. Heat is also plainly dangerous for our health and leads to more hospitalizations, putting massive pressures on our healthcare system. A long-term study that was published by New South Wales Health back in 2017 found that extreme heat waves lead to a more than 10% increase in both deaths and ambulance call-outs. All of this sounds really concerning for our future as cities heat up. So what are the solutions? What should we be thinking about as cities and as individuals to try and mitigate the effects of extreme heat and keep ourselves safe? Celeste Young is a research fellow from Victoria University who has studied how to keep cities livable through climate change. Celeste, as a start, could you please explain why cities get so much hotter than the areas that surround them? Well, I think it's very simple, really. We're building small houses, which reduces things like what they call green infrastructure, which are trees and plants that will reduce the heat. So what happens is you get surfaces that absorb heat And that means that the city doesn't cool down. So the city becomes like what they call an urban heat island in certain areas, and particularly with new developments where you've got lots of large houses going up and you've got very little greenery around them. They retain the heat for a lot longer because of what's called thermal mass. The more dense the material is, the more heat it can hold and the longer it will take to release it. Okay, so we're talking about urban sprawl here, basically. It's also the way things are built and how they're built. So some of the old-fashioned houses, I was talking to someone the other day and they were talking about a property where they thought about the airflow through the house in the olden days and it was very much closed up and you could open up the front door and the back door and the air would go right through the house very quickly. So I think we've thought a lot about building houses very quickly, but we haven't necessarily thought about building houses for heat We've thought about building them for five-star ratings for quite often keeping them warm inside. It's partly because this risk has evolved very strongly over the last couple of decades. It's always been there, but it's become much more extreme with climate change. So, you know, houses were built for a different reason. How does heat affect the functioning of a city? What are the effects of heat that we might not think about? Well, I think... There are simple things like getting to and from work. If you catch public transport, because the train tracks are now continuous, they don't have that gap in them. They expand, and I think everyone remembers from the last heat wave, it took like some people four to six hours to get home, depending on where they were, because the public transport systems, the trains went down. There are other things like animals becoming distressed. I did have a friend who was riding home in the heat, they did have a wet tea towel on their head and they ended up with a possum on their head that fell out of the tree. So you can get sort of very novel things happening as well. People also become, generally, there's more violence around hot periods of time, protracted heat waves. So I think everything just gets amped up. I also think if you're working from home, there are things you need to consider because if your power goes out and you're working from home, Do you have backups? Do you have a fan, a little handheld fan? Have you got sort of 
spray bottles in your fridge that can be used to cool you down. So as far as how cities function, all of those things from supply chains right down to people getting to and from work are things that can be impacted by heat. We saw schools close in New South Wales this week due to bushfire concerns, but are we also going to see schools and businesses close due to heat concerns? That depends very much on their resources. If you have air conditioning, there is no reason why it should necessarily close. But you do have to think about how children get to and from school during the really hot areas and making sure they're properly hydrated. I mean, heat is something that you can actually mitigate quite effectively if you have the resources. I think if you didn't have air conditioning or proper ability to keep people cool, then yes, you could potentially see that happen. And I think For certain events, particularly sporting events where people exert themselves during the heat of the day, I think that probably has to be rethought. Are governments in Australia, as far as you know, aware of the problems that are going to occur in cities as they heat up? And do you think that they're acting effectively to try and mitigate those circumstances? Look, I think a lot of this falls to local government. And you can see that there's a national perspective on that. So the Bureau of meteorology have now got a heat wave knowledge centre that you can go to and find out about heat waves. And the Red Cross, for example, that are a national organisation, have a fantastic fact sheet that you can actually download and read through to see what you can do and what your risks might be. I think at the local government level, the reality is that we have the housing stock we have that's been built the way it has been built. So retrofitting that to make it cooler takes time. There's also a push, like particularly if you look at areas like Sydney and Melbourne, where people are putting in lots of trees and looking at what's called the green infrastructure in cities as part of this cooling sort of process and planting more trees in strategic places and understanding how to keep them sort of alive during the heat, which is the other aspect of this, and how to care for animals during that time too, because the wildlife are part of the ecology. I think there is no quick answer to this because trees take time to grow and houses take time to build. However, there could be more sort of work done on rental areas and looking at what the obligations of the landlords might be in relation to keeping people safe during heat because there's an obligation to provide heating, but there's not an obligation on landlords to provide air conditioning, for example. You mentioned greening cities and planting trees to try and cool them down, but what are the other ways that councils and state governments can cool down cities on broader levels? Do we need to be implementing those plans quickly? Look, the mechanisms of government work at a certain pace and ideologically, I would love to think it could happen within 18 months. That would be fabulous, but it's not going to. I think we have to be prepared for a phased approach to how things change. A lot of it comes down to private ownership of houses and places that they need to actually take responsibility for what they're doing within their own homes. In terms of the planning laws, I think that is where the greatest changes can occur in terms of being aware of more green space. And you can see in the city of Melbourne, for example, they are actively creating areas of green space and thinking very carefully about that. I do remember someone talking about the botanical gardens and during hot weather, they were literally four degrees lower. I also think, obviously, it depends where you live. If you live in the country too, having plants around your house is also a bushfire risk. So it's about if you are having plants, making sure you understand the risks in the area that you're living in and how to plant your garden so it can act as a cooling agent and the planning laws to support that as well. 
Say you are somebody who is a homeowner and you do happen to have the resources to be able to think about cooling your home. What are the things that you would advise that people do and think about in the run-up to summer? The first thing is just insulation. It is the most effective thing both against heat and also against cold. The other thing is make sure that the sun doesn't hit parts of your house, particularly windows. There was a reason why in traditional Australian houses, they had the veranda all the way around. It's because it stopped the heat sort of coming onto the windows and hitting the walls because once they heat up, it becomes very hard to cool them down inside. The other thing is get solar panels on your house because obviously if there's a power outage and you've got solar panels, you can still keep using electricity. And I think the other thing is make sure that you think about your day because it's more about preparing the people within that space. Once you've done that space and you can paint the reflective paints, you can put awnings on your windows, you can plant trees around if you're in the city that shade. But also understanding what you need to do as a person within that space, who's vulnerable in your house. Maybe you go out early in the morning to exercise. Maybe you create a place in your house if there's only one space that's cool that you can go to during the heat of the day. And if you can't, do you need to go somewhere else to take refuge from the heat? It's about taking it seriously and actually going, okay, it's going to be a really hot day. And if I'm going to walk out that front door or if I'm going to stay home, what do I need to plan for? And what are my risks? And understanding if you are starting to feel nauseous and ill, that's a sign. And quite often people will push through that and think, no, it's okay, I'll be fine. The Quickie is produced by myself, Elfie Scott, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. 